0: hey look it's the last show of the year welcome to the green room of Disrupt tv we got some special guests and of course we're going to introduce them in classic reverse order for those who've been following <laughs> us for years um, but more importantly here with this amazing, amazing co-host vala afshar wonderful producer l and of course our guests here so john where are you coming in from what are we talking about today and you got a whiteboard that scares me i'm in the bat cave <laughs> in western massachusetts
1: uh, we're going to talk. Uh, try to get beyond AI fatigue and have a good conversation about the good news and bad news about enterprise AI. And if you want to talk about non-AI stuff, I'm ready for that, too.
0: All right. Sounds great. Wendy, where are you coming in from?
2: I am coming in from sunny Los Angeles, uh, not in a bat cave. Uh, I'd like to think this is a nice sunny office. <laughs> and here to talk about, fast forward, the book and the system in the book
0: very, very cool. We're looking forward to that. It's going to be great. So, all right, well, kick it off, Al, on the last show of 2023.
2: All right. Three, two, one.
3: Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on X slash Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see Ray on TV just about every day on television business and tech news on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Bloomberg. In my opinion, Ray is one of the top futurists to follow on X at R W A N G zero.
0: Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. Here with an amazing co-host, but he's also the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce, and he's also the author of the amazing best-selling book Boundless a new mindset for unlimited business success and of course you can get it on amazon but it's not about that bala is everywhere he's speaking he's talking he's giving inspirational insightful keynotes and tweets and when he's not hosting or leading events at salesforce you can find him on business outlets such as bloomberg and of course writing his column at ZDNet. Uh, but it's not about us it's always about our amazing guests and who do we have to kick it off today
3: we do have amazing company, co-founders, and authors. It's our privilege to have Wendy Leschgold, the president and co-founder of Fast Forward Group, a professional development and executive coaching company. Wendy is also the co-author of uh, a new book, Fast Forward, Five Power Principles to Create the Life You Want, great in Just One Year. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Backed by psychological research and brain science, Fast Forward's Five Power Principles have helped more than 100,000 professionals achieve extraordinary success and happiness. As they have excelled, so have their businesses and their teams. Wendy spent more than a decade in advertising leading teams at Ogilvy & Mather, BBDO, and Deutsch, and working with brands like Apple, Kodak, IBM, you know, small companies. Small companies, some of you, of some of you, some of you may have heard of. Uh, Wendy's experienced firsthand the challenges people face in high-pressure corporate environments. Feeling compelled to help, she launched a successful executive coaching practice. A decade later, she joined forces with her childhood friend Lisa McCarthy, who started, who shared her passion. Lisa was also co-founder of Fast Forward Group and co-author of Fast Forward. Welcome, Wendy, to this show. Thank TV. you
2: so much. Thank you. And uh, you, you, you said that all well. I was like, who am I? Okay, I was <laughs> to Tavala. Like he, he knows.
3: I had to cut your bio short because we only have 20 minutes. You've done a lot. You've done a lot.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Best bio intros in the industry. That's what I can say. (laughs) (laughs) But... But hey, you know, looking through your book and, and what was really exciting about this was really when I, when I first looked at this, I was like, hey, if everybody wanted to rebrand themselves and really think about re-platforming themselves, this would be the book to start with, right? Uh, and you start with the bold statement that anyone can fast forward to a better version of themselves, right? You know, better manager, better friend, better parent in just one year, right? That sounds like really hard to do on its own, but you laid this out. How can they do that?
2: Yes, Yes. Well, we're very specific about the time frame there, because a lot of times when people are thinking about their vision, they're dreaming way out into the future. And when you're thinking five years out, 10 years out, you can't be as specific because you don't have as many knowns. There's just a lot of things you're just out of your control and that you don't know. But when you're thinking about one year out, you can be very specific. You can actually be very thoughtful about what success looks like in a year's time. So that was the reason behind the, the year um, as a start. And, and and people have told us through the years that they, while they feel uncomfortable writing bold outcomes, they always at the end of the year achieved way more than they thought they would. Way more, people are always shocked at how much more they accomplished than, than they could have. So just that, just a short thing on the, like why a year? More specific you can be, the more likely it, that you can make it happen. And a year seems like the sweet spot in specificity.
3: I, that That's wonderful. I mean, uh, you know, all of us are anxious about happiness and fulfillment, sense of belonging, achievement. So to be able to have a time bound and have it such that it can motivate you because it's near term, it's not a 5, 10, 15. I met an executive yesterday and she was talking to me about her 15-year plan, and in my, mind, <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, I reversed back 15 years where I was, and I'm like, I, "There's no way 15 years ago I could have even remotely guessed where I am today." But anyway, I, I love the I love the forward-looking uh, vision of her. You you talk about power principles. Please uh, share with our audience. What are our yeah. power principles?
2: Yeah, and and one thing I want to just go back to on the on the on the you know creating the life you want in just one year, the, when we first started, we, you know, we, before we wrote the book, we were doing our, our work with organizations and our very first client. And this is going back 11 years ago was Facebook. And at the time, you know, Facebook was, you know, this was, Early days, right? It was early days. And when we, they hired us to come in and work with a lot of their managers and leaders. And they, you know, said, we said, okay, we're going to, everyone's going to write a bold vision. Everyone's going to stand a year out and imagine what success looks like in the year ahead. And they came back to us and they said, we can't go a year out. We're a quarterly company. There's no way we can have people dreaming out a year. And we said, yes, you can. And that's how this works. We're not going to have people writing a vision for the quarter. (laughs) they're going to write their vision for the year. And they did. And, and, you know, just like the difference that made in terms of how people were thinking Mm -hmm. and then how they were then behaving was really, was nothing short of exceptional. They, you know, kind of became our first case study. Um, Okay. Then you asked a question about these power principles and what does that mean? And um, there's five of them that we cover in the book and they kind of span from declaring a bold vision, to kind of creating a plan to make your vision happen, to kind of getting your sort of access over your mindset, controlling what you can. And then the last two principles are in the area of communication. We call them power principles really at at, at, at the heart, because we have so much more power than we think we do over certain things. Oftentimes, we just kind of throw up our hands and feel like we just don't have any power. No. And so the the first step is really looking at well where do I where where do I actually have a sense of ownership and control over things in my own life, and um, and then you know kind of acknowledging where you don't. But I think when people are really taking advantage of where they they do have the power, it's 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 life changing, and so that's where the word came from. And um, each of the power principles kind of build on each other. With the very first one being you know defining what an extraordinary success could look like for you in your whole life and then working backwards to make it happen. The other principles all are in support of your bold vision. The bold vision is the roadmap, right? So that's always the mm-hmm. first step. And you know, as coaching people through the years, so many have said to me, I, I just am not sure. I don't know what I want. I'm not sure what success looks like. And the first step is trying to get clarity on that. Trying to get because if you have clarity and you kind of know what's important to you, you can dream in color on what it, what it could look like. And then you could actually start to take the steps to make it happen. So we kind of unpack that in the book and help people to get that clarity and help them think a little bigger because sometimes people play it small.
0: No, you can definitely play bigger. And, and what I like about the book is it's, it's about self-determination. It's about re 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 looking at agency. It's really yeah. about taking the things within your control yeah. and actually optimizing. I mean, there's a lot of things that can definitely come out of your control. And and you know that, but at least you did the things that you could do, right? When you say throw your hat over the wall, To get a big bold vision, what do you mean by this? Like, are we not dreaming big enough? And and do we want to shatter our own dreams? Like, you know, Val and I I have dreams of being, you know, like on TV, you know, podcast. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) We should be, you know, we we were like, I have a daily show, like you know, pops up once a week.
2: No, I'm really glad you're asking about this phrase, "throw your hat over the wall," because sometimes when I just share where it comes from, it helps people understand how they could do it. And um, the expression "throw your hat over the wall," where we heard about it, I don't know if this person was the first person to talk about it, um, is by, uh, an Irish writer named Frank O'Connor and Frank O'Connor wrote in his autobiography. He wrote about when he was a young boy, how he and his friends would go on these long walks after school. And when they would you know, they would walk through the countryside and when they would come upon a tall wall that they didn't know how they were gonna get over, they would take their hats off their head and toss their hats over the wall so they would have to go figure out how to get their hats, right? Because they could not show up for school without their hats. Mm-hmm. So it was a forcing function. When you say like, I'm gonna throw my hat over the walls, you have no choice but to go get it. And what's key about this phrase is that oftentimes when you think about setting goals in your own life, you want most people, most of us, and this is how we're wired as human beings, we want to set goals that we already know how to accomplish. Yeah. Right. Because it feels more safe. Yep. It feels more comfortable. What doesn't feel comfortable is saying that you're going to do something without having a clear path to making it happen. And yet, that is precisely what we recommend people do. Maybe not every single goal, but many of them. It's like, where in your life could you throw your hat over the wall for something that's so meaningful to you, so important to you, even if you don't have the answer of exactly how you're going to do it. You might know part of how you're going to do it, and then you have to figure the rest out. But people's actions are correlated to the future they see as possible. So if they think something's possible in the future, they will confidently, and with great intention, take action to make it happen and you mentioned you know start a podcast and you know think about things in your life that you've where you've taken a big swing for something and you maybe were not a hundred percent sure how i mean we've all done this you know everybody listening to this right now you think about like where have you done this in your life in the past you told somebody you were going to do something you didn't know how but then after you told them and committed yourself then you figured it out and that is what it is to throw your hat over the
0: wall. That was a great book and only child. I think that's what it was. Right. So yeah. the, the, the goal was to get the hat back. You're going to put the hat out there, but you're going to that's, get it back. Right. <laughs> right. Good that's reference.
2: What sir. That is exactly now right. I remember
0: this. Now I remember yeah. this. Sir. Gotta go get the
2: hat.
3: <laughs> it's, you know, it's it, when you reflect, like when I reflect about the decisions I made five to 10 years ago is why I'm here right now, mm. you know, 10 years ago, you know, being active writing, blogging social media and then you know five five years plus uh, starting a podcast so I, i'm i'm trying to think what are the decisions i'm making right now that's going to decide where i'm going to be 5 to 10 years yeah. from now yeah. but I, I don't i don't have that clarity because i don't you know again i'm reflecting i'm it's monday morning quarterbacking i'm looking at pa- in the past yeah. and i know exactly the inflection points where i have decided to do something and you know, I wouldn't be hired as an evangelist, first evangelist at Salesforce, yeah. If it wasn't for the writing, podcasting, being a columnist, uh, speaking publicly, yeah. But I'm an introvert, uh, and I and I fight with imposter syndrome. So I spent first 25 years of my career doing none of that, yeah. zero, z- zero digital footprint, zero speaking, yeah. writing. So so anyway, I just you yeah, so know, but what you're say-
2: what you're saying actually is um, is really important because what you're saying is. I'm looking back and I'm seeing these times when I've been very intentional about going for something, what, you know, even your, your, what you just shared, you know, being an introvert, you had to do things that you weren't automatically going to do. You had to take steps and actions that were Absolutely. maybe not in your comfort zone, you know, and you 100%. had to do anyway, right? Yeah.
3: And so I, and and I was, I was avoiding, I mean, I was deliberately avoiding yeah. uh, anything that would, yeah taxing and difficult. And again, yeah. speaking and writing and socializing was totally out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, and, and in some ways it's still But is. you did
2: yeah. it because it was in service of a larger goal that you had. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people go into, you know, the new year and they say to themselves, like, well, let's see what the year has in store for me. Or like, what kind of year is this going to be? And we would, you know, to that, I would say, well, what are you going for this year? What is going to be something that you are gonna say in 2024, I'm gonna throw my hat over the wall and I'm gonna figure out how to go make that happen. And then, you know, if you fail, then you fail. So what? You'll course correct, you'll figure it out, and then you'll keep playing. And you know, and that's 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 how we play, you know, and that's what when we said we were gonna write a book, and that was, you know, not one year ago, not two years ago, it was multiple years ago, and we failed. We failed at the beginning. Like we We did not didn't happen at first. You know, we just weren't able to like get organized
3: and you're speaking to the presidents of that club.
0: But Ray and I are going to
3: Ray and I are going to write a
0: book next year, right, Ray? Oh my god, we just threw our hat over the wall. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Listen, after 12 we've interviewed 1,200 extraordinary people like yourself. We've learned a lot over the last seven and a half years interviewing. So I think it's time for us to do that. But I'm going to get to my question. So Wendy, I'm going to read this. Uh, This is Bruce Lee. uh, And Bruce Lee, uh, the greatest martial artist of all time, in my humble opinion. He He said, don't speak negatively about yourself, even as a joke. Your body doesn't know the difference. Words are energy, and they cast spells. That's why it's called spelling. Change the way you speak about yourself, and you can change your life. Now you, in your book, talk about the importance of how we speak to ourselves. Can you tell us why? And I think Bruce Lee really summarized it well. Honestly,
2: honestly, I need you to send me that quote because I'm like putting it in my next book and maybe my next social post. So that's number one. But I I love that quote so much. And I really do believe that. And I I am actually going to share... I'm going to just tell a quick story about that because I think it's better than me just kind of talking about it theoretically um I spent a lot of time when I was in my 30s telling people how busy I was and how hard everything was I had three little children and I was you know working full time and doing all the stuff right that we do yes and when people would that say- That is
3: really hard, by the way, Wendy. That's really hard. Well, but
2: here's the deal. So people would say, hey, how are you doing? And I'd be like, I'm so busy. And things have just been really, really hard lately. And, and I, then I would proceed to tell them all the reasons why it was hard and all the things that I was busy with as if anyone cared or that was interesting because it was not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of how it was. And I, I kind of hit this inflection point. At a certain moment in time and I said to myself, I don't want to be known Hmm. as someone who's really busy. I I want to be known as someone who is calm and patient and cares about people. And Hmm. I want to be known as someone who has time for people that they really care about Hmm. in their life. I want my children to know me that way. I want my colleagues to know me that way. I want my friends to invite me to things because they think I have time to go to them. Hmm. And that required new language as a starting point. Like the first step was to change my language and to stop using the word busy and to stop using the word hard. And I was Hmm. like, oh, I got to come up with new language because when people ask how I am, I'm not going to say all of those things like calm and present. And mm-hmm. I, I needed a shorthand for what could I say when people ask how I am. And I, the one I came up with was I'm in demand because I love to be in demand because that I actually has a feeling kind of a different way. So, you know, we always say language creates reality. And the first step to changing how you feel and then changing like how you how you show up people in your life is to change your language around anything how you talk to yourself and how you talk to other people so i am a huge believer in that and um like bruce lee who said it so much better but, but we we actually the first step to changing your language is writing it in your vision and then reminding yourself and then using it in your conversations with people
3: that's a great story that's a great story. Thank you for you sharing. Know,
0: one, uh, one of the most important things uh, a good friend of mine said to me is that uh, exactly similar to your, to your vein is that the the people who truly have time for you, um, the ones that make time for you are the ones that uh, have, have known that that that's the most valuable thing they can give. Right. That that mm. level of time. And 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 you see that like so there's certain individuals that are always busy. You never get a chance to catch with them yeah. because like you always see them in that in that motion. And there's yeah. some people that you could just no matter what you do, like, they'll text back, they'll call, they'll find the time, yeah. they'll they'll yeah. make that. And that that it's really it's, it's a very unique gift to be able to pull that off. So,
2: it is. Yeah. And yet it's not inaccessible to most people. And we've worked with arguably some of the busiest people on the planet. I mean, if you look at some of who the people are that that we've worked with, we've worked with you know facebook in the early days amazon we've worked with people from tiktok we've worked with all people from all over the tech specs, you know tech sector who are people who are just you know huge growth you know every year double digit year over year growth and you know 24/7 accessibility and all that stuff and we and many of them have taken on this notion of of not showing up as busy or hard or tired or stressed out and it is accessible. And I think when people say to me, like, I know you're really busy, but I stop them, And I say, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I have exactly enough time for the things that are important to me. And you're important to me. So tell me, what can I do for you? And it doesn't matter what else is going on. I will take the five minutes to to be there for people. And anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. It's just a question of being intentional about it and saying that that matters to you and then following through.
3: I often, I often share this on uh, social media because it's such an important lesson for me. And I don't know who said it. I apologize, but it's some talk to you in their free time and some free their time to talk to you. Oh, Learn the dif- difference. That's
2: good.
3: Uh, and uh, my final question is, uh, God, you're like expanding our mind right? with all these wisdom nuggets you're dropping on us. Uh, I'll be watching this episode during the weekend. Uh, you talk about the importance of sharing your goals. And it's not just the spirit of radical transparency, but the importance of the act of sharing. And perhaps that leads to accountability and sense of responsibility. Can you Can you talk to us about why it's important to share your goals? Yeah,
2: I mean, if you want people to hop on board with things that you need them to help you do. You need them to see what you see in the future. So, so so number one is having getting people to be enrolled or really bought in on a future, a future state, something that you see is is you you have to share your vision with them to have them see that. So that's the obvious low-hanging fruit. The other thing, and this is really if you're um when you share what's important to you with other people, there's a certain vulnerability in doing that that I think yeah. is um, essential to driving connection and having people feel you're accessible to them, especially when leaders share with their teams because it's vulnerable to, to do that. You also can ask for a shared accountability. So let's say you say, and we one of the, the first question in our vision exercise is what are you known for a year from today? And we ask people to think about that as, well, what would you love to be known for? That's maybe not how you're showing up today. You know, so for me, one of the things I'm working on all the time is being known as someone who's patient. Because that is not my natural state. <laughs> I have to work at that. But I, sh- I put that in my vision. I share it with my team. And I tell them, if I am not showing up this way, you have permission to let me know. Oh, wow. And cool. that is something that I think takes courage to be able to tell people to do, especially in, and in those moments, it could be annoying when they tell you, but you have to then do the work. But that's the other benefit of sharing with people is they can hold you accountable. They can help you. They can hold you accountable and they will feel more connected to you.
0: That's a great point. A lot of people talk, no action, and this is a great way to get that reinforcing Mm -hmm. function in play. Yeah. Yeah. This has been fascinating, amazing, perfect timing before the new year. We're here with Wendy Leshko, co-founder of the Fast Forward Group and author of the book Fast Forward, Five Power Principles to Create the Life You Want in Just One Year. So catch it. Thank uh, you, Wendy. Thanks for being here and catch the book on Amazon, which was released, I think, September this year. So Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, guys. (laughs)
3: Cheers. I'd love to hit that fast forward button. If one exists for life and work and career and thinking, um, I just got to tell you, this next guest is in high demand.
0: Hot, hot, hot.
3: <laughs> he is in very high demand. We're always fortunate to have him. And I'm going to read his bio, even though it makes him uncomfortable. And I just don't think the bio does him justice. So. He needs to uh, talk to his CMO and, and update because he's, he's more extraordinary than what I'm about to read. John Reed is the co-founder of Diginomica, a member of Enterprise Irregulars, and a purveyor of multimedia content. John has been building enterprise communities for almost 30 years. He must have started. It's exactly 27 years, but I rounded up. And is quickly earning a reputation for outspoken views. And his research speaks to that. On pros and cons of generative AI in the enterprise. So, lots of his writings speak to, you know, the hype, the fact, and the fiction on on AI. John's core areas include problems of customer experience, pursuit of AI analytics return on investment, which we're going to talk about, uh, work future, skills development, and uh, and and the realities of transformation. John only shares what he believes to be true, which is pretty. Amazing. <laughs> Follow John on X at John ERP, J O N E R P. Welcome, John, first ballot Hall of Fame inductee to Disrupt TV. Cool, man. I got to get my CMO on that, man. Right you got, now. You, your bio doesn't do you justice. I'm just going to let oh, you know in, in in the spirit of transparency, I'm just going to say it. But okay, sorry. Thanks. <laughs> I don't mean to be dunking on you. No, your, I appreciate be, it. I appreciate this it. This may be but... the first time. In in twelve hundred guest interviews, where I'm actually dunking on a bio, because you're bigger than the bio. Maybe Uh, that's part of your humility. That's part of your humility.
0: You are you like I remember meeting you. Yeah, like almost twenty some years ago. Yeah, it's uh, what a ride. You're you're, you're a legend. legend. You're a legend uh, in the space and enterprise software. What a ride it has
1: been, huh? And so you know, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about AI or do you have AI fatigue and you want to talk about something else because
0: no, I want to know, know what's it, after AI actually, but let's talk about the year yeah. first and say, hey, what happened this year other than you know last year in November something kicked off and everyone really got excited about it. And yeah. you know, other than you know I mean there's been a lot going on. the velocity of announcements, gives us the impression that there's this velocity of innovation i mean what do you think i mean is it is it real is it really happening are people really seeing those gains i mean is this this is not going to be the nft of, of last of two years ago right like no one's doing nft pocs right and then nothing showed up it. like where do you see this okay
1: that's that's a good place to start and you know i always prepare new content for you so i have um i have a whole series of uh bad news good news because every kind of thing i came up with had sort of a it's like dual edge so i'll give you both edges but 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 essentially essentially what what happened this year that i think we have to respect is that you have to respect adoption and i'm going to argue that generative ai in its current form is is evolutionary in an enterprise context not revolutionary and that's a really really important distinction yep but i do think there's a cultural revolution around these technologies that we have to respect and, and the fact that you, you read these surveys, right? What is it like more than 50% of, of enterprise workers are using, using these tools in some form? You could never say that about NFTs or other stuff, right? And so, the, the point is that that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on enterprise leaders to say, to, what, what is going on with this technology? CEOs are asking their CXOs, what is our play here? Where are we vulnerable? What can we do with this? And and also, by the way, we need some policies here because our employees are potentially putting you know proprietary information into these systems. So we need our own version of these systems and fast, right? What
0: so what could go wrong with that?
1: Right. What you know? What can go wrong? Right. I mean, I haven't seen any headlines about that. Have you? Um. But but if if there's one thing I would really want to say, it's that we we saw so many vendor announcements this year and the reason for that is that as a vendor in a especially in a publicly traded company if you didn't say you were doing stuff around this you were going to take a big stock hit right and you had to say you had a plan but the problem with that was that we got way ahead of ourselves again and it became very difficult for people like you and me and involved but also for customers to figure out what's real and what's not right because announcements will be made but then you would dig and you'd be like well actually this is actually an alpha or this is going to come next year sometime or so i i call it like the the mass scramble mode where you get the announcement and now you're scurrying around to try to figure out what the hell just happened
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um so so there's kind of a good news bad news going on here with enterprise ai and you know the 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 good news i think is that you can take the drama of open AI. And you can kind of set it aside a little bit and say, a lot of the problems with consumer scale AI, the ethical problems, the, 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 the BS results can be modif- modified and mitigated in an enterprise context. So, if enterprises do their job right, they can be much more responsible and live up to the promise of responsible AI. So, that's kind of the good news. The the, the bad news to there is that we're just not there yet. and you know, like, so I, I just published my first live enterprise scale use case on, on Generative AI last week. The first customer I've ever been able to talk to and ask, how is this working for you? Did you get hallucinations? How did you deal with it? Yep, you know, yep. all of that stuff. And and that's a process we're going to go through. And that I think that's going to set up 2024 to be a very interesting year because we're going to find out exactly what this is made of. But the answer to your question is that, yeah, it's it's real, but it has to be subject to the same discipline as any other technology.
0: Are we going to make money? Are we going to save yeah. costs? Is it going right. to help improve experience? Right? All those questions.
3: Right. As part, as part of your balanced approach of good news, bad news, uh, you know, your recent posts speak to AI success and return on investment is not preordained. And there's a difference between flawed and successful approach. And what is the difference? And you say, well, that's what next year is going to be about. Is trying to understand, you know, uh, our our big jobs to 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 to, to again successfully measure measure uh, ROI and benefits. You also um, you also talked about you know AI projects start off as a, as data projects. So AI and data platform readiness is is key theme that you continuously hear about. You reference Minister of Defense in one of your posts saying. It's about getting the IT basics and the data right. It's about focusing on what the minimum viable product is in order to move forward. So there's a balanced, cautious methodology. And then, of course, you wrote this big, long-form article about hallucinations. uh, And you are right; this is critical for new generative AI to scale in the enterprise. But I think what drew you into that discussion with the customer was their claim that they had a process where there was zero hallucinations i think
1: right so yes, talk, yes. Talk, talk to us yeah. about that well that was <laughs> fascinating right because i get i get all kinds of claims from vendors oh our ai doesn't hallucinate and personally i find that offensive and and <laughs> and, and and one of the, one of the things about this that i think is really important is that and i have some action items for everyone at the end of this call. So remind me to kind of tie this all together at the end but one of the action items has to do with the fact that we all have to become more technical to understand ai better and 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 to kind of not take everything at face value and it's it's never been more important for business leaders to to dig into technology a little bit so they can understand some of these claims. Right. So in my inbox, I'm constantly getting these. We don't hallucinate things. And so I, I got one from a vendor called Quick that's doing a lot of stuff with service bots. And so I challenged their PR people and I said, OK, let me talk to a sure. customer. Let me talk to a customer. I'm going to ask them directly about this. And, uh, and, and it yeah. was a deal breaker for you, right? Like, you wouldn't, oh, yeah. ju-
3: you wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. talk to them unless they gave you access no. to their customers. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, and I, and I insisted that they not join the call It had to be a one on one with the customer, they had to step out of the way and let me ask those questions. And, and, you know, I want to tie this back to CCE a little bit, because that's when the last time that you, you and I, and Paul, yeah. we all hung out. And, and I think what was fascinating about CCE uh, you picked a great year to invite people like me to help moderate and and like basically involve the audience more. And what we found, which was really fascinating, was, awesome. was that there there's a real urgency to these discussions. Right. And the urgency is not just existential risk and stuff like this. It's how is this going to affect me and my projects? And what was so fascinating was we kept trying to have this A.I. conversation and a data governance conversation kept breaking out. <laughs> and 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 so what we came back to this topic, which is you have to this. AI is provoking an important and overlooked data conversation, right? And and here's the bad news part is that AI can't really fix that. So in other words, you can't at this point in time set AI loose on your data infrastructure and say, please fix my dirty, broken data and, and break down my silos and make everything right. It, it doesn't work that way. I think AI will eventually help a lot with that, but it sure. but it doesn't completely help that. So that's that's one problem. The, but but the good news is and what what my use case demonstrated that I did is that you don't have to clean your entire enterprise to have a successful AI project. What you have to do is pick something where you know you have quality data and start there, which is exactly what this particular company, which uh, Loop, which is an insurance company, did. And that I, I asked them about the accuracy of their results, and and I really pressed them on this point. And and the reason that they had such accurate results was because they all the results are based only on their customer help documentation which happened to be in very, very good shape prior to the AI project. So these are the kinds of questions that customers are going to have has to ask vendors. Because for example, when I did a demo of AI tools for DigiNomica, I got very questionable results at times. But that's because they weren't just pulling from Diginomica, they were also pulling from chat GPT data also. And so, you know, in, in the enterprise, there's a lot of like hype around, oh my God, is my data private? Uh, those problems are going to get solved in the enterprise context. But you still have to ask these hard questions about how is this going to work? How am I going to get good results? And how is this going to fit? And and that's kind of what I looked into the use case.
3: And, And for those of you listening, when John says good results in this, again, I highly encourage you to read all his posts, but this long form on hallucinations, the client uh, claims customer self-service rates increased by 3x to more than 50% of their automated resolutions, 75% positive customer satisfaction ratings for the AI-assisted, 75 is really good, and 55% decrease in email tickets. So efficiency and effectiveness was achieved by starting with trusted data, you know, very specific use, not boil the ocean, uh, and uh, so this surgical approach of using generative AI seem to have had pretty decent return.
0: You know, that loop insurance case study is indicative of a lot of things, right? We're, we're seeing like five or six areas. Constellation has a new methodology called, you know, return on transformation uh, in, in investment, right? And if you think about what's going on, uh, you know, people are looking cost out. They're looking at compliance. They're looking at operational efficiency. They're looking at revenue growth. They're looking at uh, the ability to create a new business model. And, and we're starting to see use cases like that pop up everywhere. It's, it's, it's going to get pretty exciting as, as to what the, those opportunities are. Um, but, but the thing, don't you worry about this, John, that people might not have enough data to get to a level of precision that their stakeholders are going to trust? Like, don't you, you just spent $10 million on an AIR project and you realize that you're never going to get more than 82% accurate. Like, like, What do you do at this point? Can we model it? Can we figure it out? Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to run into that problem.
1: Well, it's a really good question, and this is one of the interesting things about the enterprise in the next year is there's, there's so much work being done on industry-specific large language models to try to make it possible to to is essentially enhance your customer specific data with other more controlled hmm. but still rich deep industry data like i think c3 ai for example has something like 25 plus industry llms that they built so, so the point being like like hmm. can we get closer to this is a really big question ray because the you, you, when you step back one of the things you can do is look at the scientific research here and the nature of these breakthroughs. And the breakthroughs all had to do with big data, to your point. That's how we got to this type of extraordinary cultural phenomenon of ChatGPT. But the problem, of course, is that, to your point, accuracy levels are an issue. And the good news, though, is that accuracy tolerances are not necessarily set in stone in all use cases. In some cases, you can have uh, more more tolerance for inaccuracies as long as you have some human supervision. So, for example, like in, in the case of like a medical thing, um, it, it it the overreach is often the problem. So it's like if you use AI as a diagnostic tool, fine, but you better have a doctor reviewing that before it goes to the patient, right? And, and the same with like a medical transcription because there's a lot of effort being done around, hey, maybe we could just transcribe these medical appointments and then the doctor doesn't have to like, who are totally overworked have to do this busy work, but they are mm. going to have to be very very smart about reviewing those conversations, right? Because those small inaccuracies in that context can be pretty important, right? You, you don't want someone to say, well, you know, um, you know, John complained about uh, stomach pain, but it turned out it was back pain, and that back pain was linked to some other condition that I was having. So, like the, these little things are are really really important. So to your point, but I think the good news about accuracy is that to some extent, accuracy can be a little overrated for some. Use cases, but again, that's why I say it's not a revolutionary technology because you can't take humans out of the loop. And when you get down to ROI, the two problems you have with enterprise AI are human in the loop, which which by definition, you know, keeps some costs in play, and and secondly, you have this issue of um, the fact that this is a big tech, big data offering, and that's expensive to run. And yes. and you know, and what's fascinating is that the human brain, by comparison, requires considerably less power, and, and we learn differently. But what I think is really interesting, listening to some experts talk about this, is the human brain actually consumed, I think, equivalent amounts of energy, but we did it over millions of years of evolution. So, essentially, we have all these so-called priors that are built into our brain, basically acquired knowledge that we learned from past generations. So, that's why we expend less energy, because it's, we're pre-loaded. But these AI systems are not, they have to be constantly trained and retrained. And and, and that's that's where the expense is.
3: You you emphasize the importance of upskilling, reskilling, but you also said it's hard to get access to enterprise grade generative AI solutions, unless you work in a company that's building it, or you're a customer of a company who's building it, most of us and most of our listeners and viewers probably are learning prompting and use of uh you know multimodal generative solutions voice text uh, video picture using consumer uh solutions Uh, so do you think that ai and this low code consumer grade access is ultimately going to fuel uh, let's call it a citizen developer movement in one of your posts you actually referenced an article written about you know, this G, gen AI evolution could really spark citizen developers in the enterprise. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Right, I mean, you know, you start to get to this thing around, like, can can I just write what I want to do and have the system yeah. kind of build it for me? And, uh, and and it's interesting, because I think to an extent you can, I mean, it, it's a little bit different in the enterprise, because one of the things I kind of uh, was thinking about before this call was how, uh, you know, it's uh, there's really different between like i would see these things on twitter like oh i built my wordpress site with you know all with chat gpt and it's like yeah see so you built another crappy wordpress site like the, the, the internet has thousands of those but but good luck in the enterprise context with role-based yeah. restrictions security right. data government, all that stuff right it, it's a whole different can of worms so 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 to build that into a business user framework is not going to be easy but i think it does have a yeah. lot of interesting potential of the convergence of business and technology people to basically like Okay, so it's like a good news, bad news thing. This current generation of AI is flawed. But the the good news about the flaws is that if we understand that it's a powerful but flawed tool, what we can do then is to say, what's the purpose of it? And I would argue the purpose of it across domains is to empower us to be more human. And to do the things that make us more unique which kind of gets back to the past guest you were talking to right that, yeah. that essentially let's take advantage of the fact that these tools don't overlap that much with what humans are good at yet and the thing is that i think eventually they will it's not going to be the reverse humans aren't going to figure out how to like you know pattern match millions of data sets but ai is going to figure out how to do over time more and more of what we do um but that's not yet that's not yet so for now why don't we take advantage of that and 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 try to elevate humanity to do the things we can really do and in a, and and to your point in a business developer context part of that is i'm going to create my own applications now and right. and and maybe i need to bring a developer in to do some fine tuning but essentially i built the app it, it, you can see it happening yeah.
3: right. so accelerating prototypes Maybe something that you know before you go into production where security scalability personalization has to be built in. You can pick, you can maybe maybe build something quickly and then give it to the to the to the professionals to to yep. bring to life. Go ahead, Ray. Go
0: ahead, Ray. <laughs> I was just saying that. Hey, thank
3: you, Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Go ahead, Ray.
0: Breaking news. Breaking news. Happy birthday. Oh, uh, uh, stay
3: your birthday, man. <laughs>
0: This yeah, is, not is. this show. We just were, this is, dude, this
3: is this is where I want to spend my birthday with two dude, of my favorite nine, people. Dude, I know, man. <laughs> so,
1: Gifts well, in the let's, mail. Let's, gift well, let's, in let's mail. make your let's make your day so, as boundless so, as possible. Then, okay. Oh, mate!
3: everything book will be boundless. Look at this! Look at this shameless. How's that? How's that for a book? plug? I love that. I
0: love that. So, So, so. Have you, have you guys seen the movie Blackberry? The one that's like in the back of the yeah. plane. So like people are looking yeah. at this movie, right? And, yeah. and we get to this point where, you know, Mike Lazardi yeah. suddenly discovers that ATT's not going with Blackberry. They're going with the iPhone. And the reason they're going with the iPhone is because it's not a battle about minutes anymore. It's a battle screen. about data and it's yeah. a battle about the screen, right? That whole thing. So I'm having a conversation with a CTO, of one of the top system integrators in the world, and I'm sitting out this conversation with him, and I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at the way they're bidding their deals, right? And, and so I'm not saying, like, they're buying market share. They're basically undercutting everybody in the deals. And it dawns on me. People think they're competing with another FTE or a human, but in reality, they're not anymore. They're competing with a bot. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact that other competitors have not realized that they're competing with bot labor instead of humans is mm-hmm. really the difference between how this SI is doing versus everybody else, because they've just discovered that it's a different game. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the thing. It's like getting into the post AI framework, right, of getting past the GPTs and the models and all their stuff. The new business models emerging with bot versus bot instead of bot versus human are just about to happen. How do you see this John playing out?
1: Yeah, you're right. And 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 I think one of the things I brought up at CCE was how we're not using nearly enough imagination around what the potential of this is. And yeah. that's a that's a real danger for customers, especially small and mid market customers. Because if you get too dependent on your vendor to deliver these sort of spoon fed use cases, like, like job description automations, one of the creation is a big one, right, all the HR vendors talk about it. But to your point, Ray, that's not really disrupting an industry, that's just freeing up some time, right? the yeah. The real question becomes, like, can if i can use bots to change my business model the way you're describing that's accomplishing two things right because now i'm competing for bids in a different way but i'm also freeing up the human talent to do something different also and what we do with that different time is going to be fascinating, and I'm going to be really curious to see if a new generation of winners and losers emerge based on that. I mean, like at CCE, you could check to Genomica, but I did another interview with Ingram Micro, and one of the interesting things about Ingram Micro is they essentially built their own platform. To your point, they made they have their own internal data scientists, and they did it all internally, and they created a platform for their own innovation, right, which directly impacts their customers. But that's a big step for a customer to take, right? And yeah. and so this is a really tricky thing uh, to do. This on- on your own. But to your point, are we going to see some advantages here when people start thinking through Wow, like instead of just having an AI write job descriptions, I can actually set an AI out to go out and interview my my applicants and how's that going to work or just do yeah. something totally, totally a, differently than anyone else, you know? It's you know, that
3: this is yeah, this is a this is how a $52 billion revenue company like Ingram can get to 100 billion. In other words, It creates products and services powered by bots that free up their talented employees, and there's, I think, 100,000 of them, uh, to do more interesting work. It was a co-owner of the Warriors uh, who said, you know, when the refrigerator came out, many people thought it's going to be the biggest company, biggest brand in the world. We're going to be refrigerator makers, but it ended up being Coca-Cola so that cold drink using a refrigerator was the most revered brand biggest company on earth so we keep talking about this asymmetric discussion around llm makers and and studio and prompt makers and this and the other but perhaps the biggest company in a decade from now will be the one who has the use case for using the refrigerator uh anyway so so every
1: every, one of the things that i'm a big believer believer in is is sort of the the satirical take on the enterprise, and so every year I do these unpredictions with Brian Summer. This year, uh, making kind of fun of the of the absurdity of all these people thinking they can predict what's going to happen. Um, number thirteen this year was a vendor suspends an analyst from their analyst program after discovering the analyst sent their bot to an online briefing. The analyst bot asked a timely question about AI deep fakes, but was later exposed as a bot when it told the vendor the slide deck was fantastic and amazing. L- little, little did that vendor know Ray Wong had already attended their last user conference in Las Vegas <laughs> via, oh via via the form of a GTP four multimodal hologram. So, so yeah, I mean, pretty soon, yeah. Ray. I mean, if anyone's no. going to send a bot to a conference, it's going to be you, right? You're going to be the it, first it, it man. Won't me, actually. It's going to be like, Ray, it was great to see you. And it was like, Yeah, I just downloaded the update from my hologram. It really was awesome. You know, like, <laughs>
3: what, what, so. what, makes, what makes you think this is real Ray Wong in, 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 right now? <laughs>
0: yeah, we, uh, we don't
3: we don't know, which actually we don't know, <laughs> which actually
0: brings training me, data, which actually, training bring,
1: data. which actually brings me to brings me to my final <laughs> sort of good news, bad bad news. It's actually bad news, great news, I think, and, and the, the bad news is, I think, is that the the type of algorithmic economy that we're dealing with is going to increase our our sort of polarization and further threaten democracies because without sort of an agreed upon set of facts, there's really no civil discourse. And so the good news is a lot of people are working on issues of information and algorithms. Yeah. But one, one of the recent research points by Maria Ressa was they did some studies that lies travel seven times faster than facts. <laughs> Um, So those things are a little bit scary, right? And I think that was part of my call to action is that we need to become more informed citizens and really understand, like, how how do we like take a critical view towards the kind of information we consume without completely distrusting everything which is a total breakdown right so that's one of our jobs is that we have to kind of embrace that we can't just we can't just work in a bubble and hope that society goes great we we kind of have to become citizens not just consumers that's one of the big ones but i think the great news is just that there's never getting back to your first guest as well there's really never been a more important time to to be human in all those good ways to be brave creative outspoken relationships that matter you talked about that too um the only thing i would really say is just like that that really, that i believe in that i would add to what uh, wendy said is in addition to throwing things over the wall and taking those chances and being decisive and all that great stuff amplify your own uniqueness like like hmm. I, I was in a tailspin about 15 years ago until i met a bunch of people like like ray uh, the infamous den hallett and all these people where i was like oh my god they're doing this in their own way maybe i can do that too like maybe i can amplify what i'm doing in a different way and i think like that's the lasting success i think we're after and in in a bot world there's still a need for that like in, in fact it grows stronger and the only thing I would say is that we also need to form alliances to amplify and help each other because the one big problem with the algorithm economy is that it's very cruel. It sometimes reminds you of a high school cafeteria. It's like, why did, now you guys aren't quite as relevant to that because you're kind of made men in the social world. Like when Vala puts something out there, like hundreds of people like it and Ray, you're the same, but a lot of people don't have that. And, and getting to that point can be discouraging when you see, wow, I don't, I have just such a shred of a voice. And then there's this Instagram influencer posting trash, and they're getting all this attention. So I think we need to do a really good job of amplifying the things we care about to make sure that they don't get lost because this is not a meritocracy. When lies travel faster than truth that tells you there's something wrong with the business model. And it's up to us to kind of refine that. But I think the good news is that there's room for that. And people crave that. And that doesn't mean that bots can't do a bunch of cool stuff too. But so can we so let's prove that let's let's prove our own excellence versus the bots. John's my the message. Last,
3: the last five minutes man gold 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 you're not outspoken you speak the truth with conviction so people should have clarity in terms of the difference it's it's not it's evidence-based it's deep research and you speak the truth with conviction. So that's not outspoken. And Get you're never your bio. And
0: we never have to worry about you being bot, man. That's that's the beauty. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're an independent yeah. voice.
3: Yeah, yeah. I have no idea here. what John's gonna say. Absolutely. No, there's no bot, no
1: bots, no bots could quite no, imitate no this. Can, and that's sort of the goal. No. But you're trying to fool
0: the bots. That's really what it is. You've been putting yeah. content and seeding it. So like 10 years from now, they'll be like, we don't know what John's gonna do next. <laughs> but I, I, lo- but I, I,
3: lo- and I love your advice of embrace your uniqueness, have the courage and be bold and uh, speak the truth and then and then help others help others, Which which you again, you're one of our favorite guests on the show. I think you've been on our show more than any other guest. And it's because when you come on the show, you help us reach our audience in a meaningful way. I wouldn't want to spend my birthday with anyone else. So thanks, thanks for being here. Well, I
1: appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys like having faith in in my ideas too, because kind of what I was just saying is is a thank you to, to you too. And just a thank you to to the people out there that take the time to elevate each other's views, because that's going to become increasingly important. So thanks so much for that.
0: Happy birthday to Vala. Yep, and happy birthday.
1: And- I, I would sing happy birthday to you, but I'm not sure your <laughs> yeah. list, your audience needs to hear that.
0: Is yeah. AI for that, too?
3: Yeah, uh, we, we yeah we're, where's the
0: bot when you need it, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, I, that
3: would be great. Yeah, thank you, John. John thank Reed, you.
0: the one and only co founder of Diginomica. And you follow him on Twitter at John ERP. But more importantly, catch his catch Diginomica, the site. If you want to get some great insight of what's happening in the B two B and enterprise tech world. So, thanks a lot, John. The best. Happy Thank holidays. You.
3: Thank you. Happy holidays. So we kind of <laughs> lied
0: when we said this might be the last show, didn't we? What's going on?
3: <laughs> well, you know, okay. So uh, yes, uh, a, a white lie. Um, it's our reg- so this is the regular for- the last regular format show. Ray and I have had the privilege this year, 2023 calendar year, since January 1 to present day, of having over 50 authors on on our show. And uh, some of these books have impacted our thinking, our our, how we're going to approach next year, the type of guests we want to bring back to the show. So Ray and I, a couple of weeks ago, it's actually probably a month in the making, uh, have been debating, can we just have our top 10 books to recommend? And and, and man, the debates and just can't. Yeah, yeah. right and we couldn't we couldn't agree so we, couldn't we do had number of I mean, calls. Had
0: 50 amazing authors right and just yeah right right end, to be honest
3: right. we maybe we should just do top 50 and save ourselves a headache because they're all extraordinary but we thought you know let's let's just be honest about the books and and the segments and how you know we felt about the summaries of the books in addition to the books we had guests uh, uh come in and weigh in some of the folks we were kind of who are ferocious readers, who actually watch all our shows, read all the books that come on our show. So we have some outside input. Obviously, we have the best producer on earth. So uh, certainly Elle uh, has been trying to be the tiebreaker. But having said all of that, even with L trying to, you know, make sure Ray and I don't get into fisticuffs, <laughs> <laughs> we have now 15 books. Um, and we got a little bit more debates because, you know, we're still not quite there. But we're going to try to do a show next week it's, I think it's gonna be 19th or 20th we're gonna a on special race.
0: time you'll see it on Twitter we'll let you know or special
3: Rex. time we'll, we'll promote it this weekend We'll let you know Monday for sure Monday and Tuesday but it's and 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 we're gonna do probably a 30 minute show uh, just a summary of 15 extraordinary authors actually 15 books. And it's going to be more than 15 authors because I don't want to leak anything, but some of the books have co authors. (laughs) So there's probably 25 to 30 people that we're going to recognize, but 15 books. And why 15? Because Ray and I couldn't agree on 10. Uh, uh, and, and and I think that's a good it's a win win for all of us. We get to maintain our friendship and five more books get added to the list. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is our last show, regular format show. We'll have a book show for our two thousand and twenty four recommendations based on authors that have been here this year. We're gonna be off for the next couple of weeks for holidays for christmas and you and can New year. all the
0: replays on our site. Uh, on Disrupt yes, TV yes. on YouTube you can listen to them on Apple and iTunes and the podcast and of Absolutely. course you can watch them on the Disrupt TV site uh yeah but but more Absolutely. importantly we are booked till March 22nd for next year i don't know if you know yeah. that bala we are Yeah, booked. yeah. and so yeah. so if you've got ideas or guests please let us know too uh we are definitely yeah. taking all your suggestions uh for the year as well so it is so right.
3: hard it is this is like a delicious paradox we love the fact that there's so much interest that we can book three and a half months ahead but we know during that three and a half months we're going to have extraordinary people who are willing to come on our show and speak with us and uh, you know we'll have to figure something out <laughs> but for now you know, we, you know we, we both have day jobs so apologies for that only one show uh, per week we will get together on January 5th and we're going to start the year strong how strong we have the number one Thinkers 50 as our first guest, the wow. number one business yeah. management expert, Harvard professor, best-selling author, Amy Edmondson, author awesome. of "Right, Right Kind of Wrong: The Science of Failing Well." And again, she's uh, the last two Thinkers 50. She's been top n- number one thinker. We have Matt Abrams, author of "Think Faster, Talk Smarter: How to Speak Success- Successfully When You." when you're put on the spot. So we're going to limit it to two guests because again, Amy and Matt are extraordinary, just like all our guests. And, uh, and then hopefully we'll talk to you next week when we reveal our top 15 best books to consider reading next year. Uh, maybe next year, Ray I can agree on 10. If it's Friday, it's disrupt TV. Happy holidays. Happy new year to you all. We are grateful for you. We don't Thank spend so our much. Friday afternoons here. If it wasn't for you tuning in and inspiring us to do so. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Finally,
0: it's Disrupt TV. See ya.